Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. In Iowa, it looks like the Democrats interfered with their own election as I posted this morning. But they have a lot in common with the Russians, so what do you expect? They get a more accurate and faster count in Iraqi elections, apparently, than they get with the Iowa caucuses. They might want to rethink this, but no, 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 we're not going to rethink this. No. Um, and, of course, the media, the media can't stop repeating the numbers. 62% of the vote in. Sanders had a small win in the popular vote, but we don't know what it is. Buttigieg won a bigger percentage of the delegates, but we don't know what that is exactly either. He got 26.9%. Sanders got 25.1%. Warren, 18.3%. Biden, 15.6%. Amy Klobuchar, 126 I noticed Bloomberg got a negative now he'll say, I wasn't campaigning there. But he's been running national ads, almost a quarter of a billion dollars worth. It's an interesting story. He knew he wouldn't do well there, so he didn't go there. But still, they know who he is, and they didn't vote for him. But there's a bigger story. Bigger story. And believe it or not, it came out 51 minutes ago at CNN. Of course, not on cable, on their website. By Harry Enton. Still a lot we don't know about the 2020 Iowa Democratic caucuses, including who won the contest. Well, we do now. But big deal. But we do have an early indication about turnout. The Iowa Democratic Party said Monday night that early data showed it looked to be on pace with 2016, when 172,000 showed up to the caucuses. If that trend holds, it will be disappointing to Democrats who are hoping that a desire among those in their party to defeat President Trump in November would produce a turnout closer to the nearly 240,000 who caucused in 2008. In other words, the turnout of the Democrats was very weak. Hello! 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 Now, The lack of a large turnout is the latest sign that Democrats may not be nearly as enthusiastic now as they were heading into the midterm elections. You may recall that Democratic turnout in primaries, he writes, was booming, heading into the 2018 midterm elections. In fact, it was nearly triple the 2014 figure in competitive House primaries. This high turnout proceeded record turnout in the 2018 midterms and a wave election for Democrats in the U.S. House. Correlating presidential primary turnout with general election success is hard to do. Turnout is obviously lower when there isn't a competitive primary, at least two competitors going at it, 
presidential candidates. And the number of contests that are competitive within the primary differs from year to year. Still, the lack of high turnout in 2016 compared to a similarly long primary in 2008 did foretell problems for Democrats in the fall. If the pattern continues, it also calls into question any candidate who claims that he or she will be able to bring out new voters in the fall. They not only didn't bring out new voters, they didn't bring out their traditional voters in huge numbers. Some of the lower Democratic turnout in 2020 Iowa Democratic caucuses could be because caucus goers were overwhelmed by the large number of candidates, though there were plenty in 2008. Some of it could be that Iowa is becoming more Republican. Additionally, impeachment has caused the primary season to not dominate the headlines that it has in the past. Hi, Nancy. Oh, she's a brilliant strategist for us. But we can look to other indicators to suggest enthusiasm is down for Democrats. You haven't heard this anywhere. CNN just had this analyst who happens to be right. But they'll poison this guy. Just a matter of time. Look at the special elections compared to the Democratic baseline, for example, he writes. State legislative and congressional special election performance has correlated well with general election success over the last few decades. Oftentimes, that success is tied to advantages in turnout. During the 2017 and 2018 period, Democrats were crushing it in special elections. They outperformed Hillary Clinton's Martin by an average of 10 points, according to data compiled by daily cost elections. That's reliable. Compare that to the 2019-2020 time frame. Democrats are only outperforming their 2016 baseline by an average of about two points, a drop of eight points from the 2017 to the 2018 period. We can also examine actual polling data about enthusiasm. CNN asked voters how enthusiastic they are about voting in the upcoming election. In the final two polls before the midterms, Democrats and Democratic-leaning independent voters had an advantage over Republicans and Republican-leaning independents. An average of 65% of the Democratic group said they were extremely or very enthusiastic. This beat the average 58% of the Republican group. Our last two polls for 2020 show something different. The seven-point Democrat lead on the extremely or very enthusiastic question has turned into a seven-point Republican lead on enthusiasm. Now, you don't need to be an enthusiastic voter to cast a ballot. Common sense does suggest, however that you'd rather have enthusiasm on your side. Democrats may not have as much of an advantage on it than they used to. Wow, Mr. Producer, have you heard this anywhere? This CNN analyst? You know they're going to have to give this analyst the boot, so to speak, right? Have you heard that on on the cable shows, actually, ladies and gentlemen? You have not. Hey, look at this. Buttigieg gets 26.9. Sanders got 25.1. What? Ah, who cares? Now they're off to New Hampshire. I have nothing against Iowa and New Hampshire. But it's a freak of nature that they're the first two out of the box. For Republicans, it ought to be Texas. Texas is the most important state to Republicans. Sorry, sorry, it's true, it's true. And I don't even leave there, but it's true. Texas should be the first for Republicans to set the stage for Republican primaries and so forth and so on. In any event, Democrat enthusiasm is way down, ladies and gentlemen. Republican enthusiasm is picked up. 
That's what we get out of Iowa. And of course, that the Democrats who want to run health care and all the rest of it, as I posted this morning. And by the way, I want to congratulate all the people on cable and all the people in the media. I know. You keep, you keep bookending my, my social sites. That's perfectly fine. But they want to run virtually every industry, every aspect of your life. They can't even run a caucus. I mean, it's unbelievable. Where people just show up, they mosey around. You know, it's, it's, it's like a food line. They get, they get in line, they kind of wait around. Uh, you know, I'm kind of going to have a cup, I'm going to have a donut. And, and uh, they can't seem to manage this. How many years have they been doing this? It's so complicated, they can't even understand what the hell they're doing. The candidates can own oh, this Buttigieg. Isn't he an active mayor, Mr. Producer? I think he is. He's not? Did he resign? When? A month ago? I don't even follow that. He resigned a month ago. Okay. But that explains it. He's been camping out in Iowa. Because, ladies and gentlemen, here's what they know. If they can get 25... Let's think about this. 172,000 showed up for these Democrat Party caucuses, right? 25% of that is minuscule. What is that? Like, uh, it's like 42, 44,000. I'm, I'm on the air. I don't have my calculator with me. That's it. Wow, what a victory. Amazing. It's not a big deal. Do you know what this tells me? Not only is Democrat enthusiasm down, there's no great leading Democrat candidate. For some bizarre reason, Republicans want Bernie Sanders to be the nominee because they think, you know, the president will have the easiest time knocking this guy off. Maybe that's true. But the guy's so radical. Is that what we want? I don't even want him anywhere near a nomination. by He's not even a Democrat. He's a, he's a Democratic Socialist. But he's a coward. He doesn't run third party as a Democratic Socialist. And it should concern us all that there's even 40-some thousand people who would vote for a Democratic Socialist who's talking about nationalizing health care using your tax dollars to pay off somebody else's student loans? Who's talking about nationalizing our electrical system? Can you imagine? Boy, that, that won't be a problem, will it? Cable goes out, you, you, you get angry. I get angry. But when the lights go out, who are you going to blame? The government. Oh, that'll help. And who are all these geniuses in the government that are going to run all these industries, Mr. Producer? Who are they? Do we know their names? How are they trained? How are they chosen to do these things? When the government gets involved, it creates less stuff. We've talked about this. The Department of Agriculture gets in the way of agriculture. The Department of Energy gets in the way of energy production. And we go on. Department of Education promotes illiteracy in many respects. Certainly not education. I know. I worked there many, 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 many years ago for a short period of time. Anyway, this is Iowa, where they're still counting 38% of the voters out in Iowa. And the Democrat Party is still working vigorously, and they say, we got to get it right, even if it takes a long time. How about if you get it right, and it doesn't take a long time? And I'm quite serious. This is the brain trust that wants to run your country, your industries. It's not a brain trust at all. It's a bunch of putzes who get together and try and rearrange society. You heard these young people calling the program yesterday. 
when I said I want Bernie Sanders supporters to call up. Very nice people. Have no idea what they're talking about. None whatsoever. Just like they're great heroes. Sanders and Buttigieg and Warren and, and Biden and Klobuchar. Look at those five. I wouldn't want those five anywhere near government. And there they are. And Klobuchar announces through the chaos last night that she won. She got 12.6% of the vote out of 172,000 votes. Not None of the vote of the delegates. She didn't win anything. She came in fifth. But you know what it is, Mr. Producer? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody won last night, America, because we went to the... Uh, didn't even go to the polls. Went to the caucuses, and everybody's vote was counted. Actually, it wasn't counted. No, it wasn't. All right, we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Turns out Harry Enton, analyst for CNN, was on CNN today. With dumb as a doorknob, John Berman. Who's that, Mark? Don't worry about it. Cut 11, go. And in terms of news for the Democratic Party writ large, the turnout was not particularly high. No, it wasn't particularly high. So if you go back to four years ago, what the Iowa Democratic Party has said is it's about the same exact turnout. That is not particularly good. It's not as strong as it was in 2008. There's supposed to be all this excitement around the Democratic Party wanting to beat Donald Trump. And this isn't the only data point that shows that. If we look at the special elections that we've seen so far in 2019 and 2020 and compare it to the 2016 baseline, what we see is that Democrats are overperforming at a lower level than they did between 2017 and 2018. So when you take those two data points and put them together, maybe there's a little bit of enthusiasm problem for Democrats going yeah. forward. Oi, oi, gavolk. Oh, my gracious goodness. Holy mackerel. What do we do now? I want you to listen. We talked about this. When people were out there telling you that Nancy Pelosi is a brilliant strategist. Nancy Pelosi is a moron. And you'll see her tonight sitting behind the president on his left with her facial tics and tics from the rest of her body from years of plastic surgery abuse. You'll see her clapping awkwardly and at awkward moments like a clapping seal. Maybe she'll be wearing those 
28 millimeter fake white pearls. You never know. With a bright red dress. Like a good little Maoist. Now, I believe the president will be strong nonetheless. But the great strategist, Nancy Pelosi, she has succeeded in firing up the Trump base even more than it was already fired up and annoying the Democrat base, except, of course, for the headbangers. And there's even more by Tiana Lowe. Tiana Lowe, who writes for the Washington Examiner. In the Hawkeye State, that's Iowa, by the way, a plurality of voters believe both that the House shouldn't have impeached Trump and that the Senate ought not to remove him from office, but that leaves two in five Iowans who responded to polling that the Senate should convict and remove Trump. That they didn't turn out in robust numbers signifies that Democrats' antipathy toward Trump just isn't widely shared. The real issue is that most people like their lives and their country better under Trump than they did under Obama, whom Iowans clearly did love. And now we have a new poll, and I'm not even a big poll guy. That's Jennifer Lopez. I'm not even a big poll guy, Mr. Producer. And the President of the United States is in the positive 49% support. Isn't that what it says? At this time in his presidency, higher than Obama. Higher than Obama. You remember Obama, don't you? The current economy features the lowest unemployment in half a century. Real wage growth benefiting lower income earners for a change. And consistent economic growth fueling the longest bull market in history. There's no hiding it. This is the best economy in generations. More than two-thirds of those polled by Gallup report being satisfied by the state of the economy. A 22% increase since the end of the Obama administration. And consumer confidence has peaked to its highest point in two decades. Wow. Since the beginning of Trump's tenure, our reported satisfaction in the nation's security from terrorism has increased by 18 points to 68%, in military strength and preparedness by 15 points to 81%, and in the success of blacks and other racial minorities in the nation, 9 points to 46%. And as you know, employment numbers among African Americans, Latinxes, Asians, young people, and women at a record high. So, of course, let's burn it all down and elect Bernie Sanders. Yes, so we can all enjoy the utopia that is Venezuela. I'll be right back. You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 charter schools it's helping to found coast to coast. 
Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. talk back to your radio then you must be listening to mark levin pick up the phone and call 877-381-3811 man oh man we have a lot to do tonight i hope you'll stick with us hey Buttigieg got 25 and three-fourths and seven-eighths of a vote wow what a juggernaut how do you spell his name again i don't have any idea Bernie Sanders, 25.1% of the delegates. Wow. He keeps that up. He'll come in last place, Mr. Producer. You know what we get out of Iowa? Nothing. Yellow. Yellow. Zero. Goose egg. Nothing. Except there's an enthusiasm gap. The Democrats are not all that enthusiastic. And why would they be? Look at their leaders. Look, look, look at the fascistic Nancy Pelosi. You've got fascistic Chuck Schumer. You've got fascistic Adam Schiff. These three people haven't done a damn thing for the country since Trump's been president. And what they have done has been very destructive. Can I tell you a little secret? This doesn't make me happy. Can you hear me? A little bit? Let me tell you a little secret. I'm not even happy about this. Do you folks realize that if the Democrats weren't trying to destroy the president, they'd be getting most of their deals done? Did you hear me, Mr. Producer? Do you understand what I'm saying? If they came to him and said, look, we want a deal on infrastructure, they'd get it. If they came in and said, we want a deal on taxpayer-financed family leave for everyone, they'd get it. We want a deal on DACA, they'd get it. All they would have to do is treat the president with basic modicum of respect and not try and destroy him. This is the dirty little secret, maybe I shouldn't have said it. Maybe I shouldn't have said it. But in many ways, the Democrats are like the Palestinians. May I say that, Mr. Producer? I think I shall. Not in every way, of course. They're not tying bombs to their bodies or their children yet, so I have to confess they're not that way in that respect. But figuratively, if they weren't so filled with animosity if they weren't so corrupt if they didn't despise the civil society and the constitution so thoroughly you and I would be concerned about all the deals that were being made and all the money that was being spent on their agenda but it's not happening for the most part because they're trying to destroy Trump so shh, don't tell anybody. Don't, t- don't, don't tell anybody what I said. Now, did you know the Iowa caucuses are racist? Oh, yeah. Isn't everything? Yes. 
I mean, after all, America has racism in its DNA. And in 1619, America was started because of slavery. I know this. Because the Holocaust denying New York Times has told us so. And beyond that, I don't really need to educate myself. Zerlina, or is it Zerlina? I don't want to be racist. Zerlina Maxwell, a a CNN analyst. Cut nine, go. The Iowa caucus is essentially the perfect example of systemic racism. 91% of the voters in Iowa are white. Stop. Mr. Bedusa, are people of color prevented from moving into Iowa? I don't, I don't think so. So does that mean inner cities that are mostly African-American or Latinx, that they're racist too? That they're racist too? Why do we have insane, hate-filled people who know nothing about humanity and society as analysts on cable TV? Because that's why they're there. They're provocative. And CNN has decided that it needs to be and lead the Democrat base. You're listening to Zelina Maxwell, who sounds like Ayak, who sounds like Talib, who sounds like Omar, who sounds like a very very unwell person, in my humble opinion. Let's start at the top again. Zerlina Maxwell, everybody, a CNN analyst today. Cut nine, go. The Iowa caucus is essentially the perfect example of systemic racism. 91% of the voters in Iowa are white. The reason why you see a drop in turnout, I'm just Listen to the hate. They're white. Do you hear that, Mr. Producer? They're white. My God. They're white. I think they produce a lot of corn for this country, don't they? I believe Iowa is an agriculture state. Yeah, a lot of corn. They help feed America. That's true. Corn knows no race. But the truth is, they feed a lot of the country. Even though they're white. White and systemic racism. When I think of Iowa, I don't really think of systemic racism, do you? I don't think of all the, the racial battles that took place. I'm sure, what does she think when she thinks of Vermont, Mr. Producer? Oh, my God. That's got to be like 94% white. And that's the home of the very white, 100% white, Bernie Sanders. Oh, my God. Thank you, Zerlina, if that is your name, for bringing this to our attention. Little did we know. Go ahead. Be perhaps that white children are not in the cages. So when you're talking about the tangible white pain, children are not in the cages. Are African American children in the cages? Who's in the cages? Even when they attack Trump, they have to go back to 2014 to show pictures of illegal alien children in quote-unquote, cages. Those are Obama cages. Remember the Obama phones? Well, they're Obama cages. They can't find the Trump cages. These are Obama cages. And last time I checked, he's not 91% white. 
You know what else is 91% white, Mr. Producer? The hosts on CNN, I think. Go ahead. That black and brown people are feeling, they feel a sense of urgency because their kids are. How is it that somebody shows up at CNN as a legal analyst, Zerlina Maxwell, and she speaks for all black and brown people? Do I sit here behind this microphone and pretend to speak for all Jewish people? For all olive skinned people? For all beautifully bald men? No. I speak for myself. Did she win some election? No. Is she the leader of some? No. She's just there, pontificating, popping off, burping up platitudes, and racist and racialist propaganda. Go ahead. Right? And so if you have 91% white electorate, that sense of urgency may not be reflected in the turnout numbers. I'm not oh, saying Oh, I was wondering, where the hell is this going? Now we know. White Democrats don't have an urgency. Not like minority Democrats. This could be a factor, you see. That explains everything. Zerlina Maxwell, you're a genius. Absolutely brilliant. Next thing you know, you'll be showing up on Meet the Depressed. Montage. CNN, MSNBC, they don't know what to do. Their party is really screwing up and they're embarrassed. For themselves. All these Democrats who are dressed up as reporters or have family members who are in politics, they don't know what to do. Oh, my God. Look, our party's screwing up. It's a black eye for all of us. What are we going to do? The DNC's in trouble. Look, it's a disaster. Cut eight. Go. Problems with the reporting process in last night's caucuses means there are no official results from Iowa to report. Nothing. You've seen some dumb stuff. Hold on. Why do we care? What's her name? Maxwell just said it's racist. There's systemic racism, 91% white. Right, Mr. Producer? Their children aren't in cages. By the way, how many African-American children are in cages? This is so sick. But okay, we'll play along. So why do we care about Iowa? It's 91% white. It's systemic racism. They can't help it. They can't help their states 91% white and that they are systemically racist. So there's no urgency there, you see. Because, you see, white people never suffer. White people never have difficulty earning money. Never have problems in their families. Not like other people. This is the problem with the Democrat Party, identity politics, Balkanization, tribalization. You don't talk about people as people. This woman knows nothing about the people of Iowa. She sees a statistic. She sees 91% white, and that's good enough. And she's given voice on CNN. This is race baiting. This is, this is vicious, vile demagoguery. In the American media is front and center pushing this crap. Then they went, why is there so much divisiveness in this country? Chuck, what do you think? I don't know, Jake, what do you think? Donnie, what do you think? I don't know. Fredo, what do you I don't know. Must be Trump. I'll be right back. Lovin.
You've heard me talk about the four pillars of education at Hillsdale College. Now, these four pillars or purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom, have defined Hillsdale's mission since 1844. I'd like to focus on the first pillar, learning. Hillsdale understands, as America's founders did, that a proper education is essential to preserving free government. Among other things, young people must be taught about America's great heritage of liberty. They must be taught about how government works and the importance of the Constitution. And they must develop the skills to become useful citizens and the virtues required for self-government. Because so many high schools, colleges, and universities fall short in these areas today, Hillsdale has expanded its mission nationwide. For example, through its free online courses, its free monthly speech digest and primus, and the classical K-12 through charter schools it's helping to found coast-to-coast. Discover how you and your children can learn from Hillsdale College, too. Go to levinforhillsdale.com. Well, this is wonderful and well-deserved. President Trump says he will award Rush Limbaugh the Medal of Freedom. And God knows he's earned it. President Donald Trump told network anchors during a private lunch Tuesday, today, that he'll award Rush Limbaugh with the Medal of Freedom. According to a person familiar with the discussion, Trump informed anchors he will bestow Limbaugh with the Presidential Medal of Freedom in the coming months. Limbaugh has been a staunch ally of the president's for years and dined with him at his Palm Beach Golf Club over the holidays. Trump wished the conservative radio talk show host a speedy recovery Monday after Limbaugh told his audience he's beginning treatment, which will require him to miss the show some days with advanced lung cancer. You know, uh, you know, I couldn't sleep last night, Mr. Producer. I, I couldn't sleep last night. I'm just being honest. I'm always honest with you folks. I couldn't stop thinking about what he announced in, in him. The uh, <clears throat> Medal of Freedom is bestowed to individuals who've made especially meritorious contributions to the security or national interests of the United States, to world peace, or to cultural or other significant public or private endeavors, according to the White House. Now, I remember I touched on this yesterday. <laughs> I remember when Al Gore was nominated by somebody or some group for the Nobel Peace Prize. You remember that, Mr. Producer? And I'm sitting there as president of the Landmark Legal Foundation at the time. We have a new great president, Pete Hutchison, who was general counsel there for about four billion years. Really, really smart guy. But anyway, I pulled the guys around. I said, well... How do you nominate somebody for the Nobel Peace Prize with, with a doofus like Gore? So we looked up the rules, and we found out, well, we can just write in and nominate them. Now, it's not a formal nomination, but did you know this? I'm sure they've changed it since we, changed, since we did what we did. So I, Landmark, put out a press release saying that we had formally recommended the nomination of Rush Limbaugh for the Nobel Peace Prize. Now, I called Rush beforehand. And I said to him, you want in on this? And he laughed and I said, yeah, let's do it. So we did it. 
<laughs> and, and only like he can. He kept promoting it, you know. I've been nominated for And uh, it was all tongue-in-cheek. But guess who didn't know, Mr. Producer? The New York Times. So they call me, as I recall, and they interview me. Why did you nominate? Well, and I give them the whole spiel and so forth. I don't remember if they ran with it, ignored it, what they did. But it was in all the headlines. And then somebody figured out, wait a minute. You can't formally nominate Rush Limbaugh for the Nobel Peace Prize. It's like 10 days later for the Nobel Peace Prize. I said, we can't? They said, no. I said, oh, okay, then so be it. But Rush, like only he could, he played that out for months. It was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. We nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize. But I want to thank this president. You know, he can't call each and every one of you, but I bet he would if he could. He's a very decent man, despite the attacks on him. But he's a proud man, and he defends himself and he defends his family. And people who, who say, oh, look, the words he says, think about what is said about him, what is done to him, and same with his family and friends. And he fights back, which is what we want. It's about time. We don't want people writing essays and fighting back. That's okay, but he's the president. He's living this in real time. And he's fighting for her survival. It reminds me of Netanyahu in Israel. They're trying to put that man in prison. Don't you think they'd try and put Trump in prison if they could? They just did try with the special counsel. But he will call you up. Thank you for certain things. And he's responsive. He's attentive. And what he's done here underscores the point. I can't think of another person, and I'll be attacked for this, and I don't care, who during the course of their career has done more to advance the cause of liberty, capitalism, constitutionalism, a strong America, a proud and patriotic America, day in and day out, than Rush Limbaugh. He more than deserves this, and thank you, Mr. President. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Hey! I have an idea. Let's stay up till 4 in the morning until the other 38% of the vote comes in from Iowa, Mr. Producer. 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That would be 6 p.m. Pacific. The President of the United States will be giving the State of the Union address. And I, like you, will be glued to the television set. And you'll see some of the, some of the cameras showing us Adam Schiff sitting there. With the constipated look on his face. All eyes will be on Nancy Stretch Pelosi as her ping pong ball eyes stick out of her head. May I say? With all due respect. As she claps with her outstretched arms like a seal. 
all kinds of twitching going on back there with her face, with her eyebrows, with her shoulders. Long periods of no blinking, then periods of sudden erratic blinking. Somebody once told me that's evidence of narcissism, Mr. Producer. I forget who that somebody is, by the way. Then they'll show us Chuck Schumer. And I have to give Chuck credit. You know, he, he went out there on the limb with the uh, cornrow uh, hair implants. And they've taken. But they haven't, they haven't helped him. He is what he is. He looks as he looks. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we'll be listening to the words of the President of the United States. He has much, much to talk about. Accomplishments for the country. Truly. So on the floor of the Senate today, the greatest uh, diarrhea body in America, uh, I mean a deliberative body, isn't that what it's called, Mr. Producer? The greatest deliberative body in the world. Well, there's many enemas of the state. May I say that, Mr. Producer? Anyway, uh, there's Joe Manchin. He's saying, you know what? I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I mean, I'm from West Virginia, where I think Trump won by uh, 412%. But I am a Democrat, and I do feel the social pressure here in uh, Washington. So i got to figure out a middle way. I have it. Censure. Uh, Ding dong. Knucklehead. There is no censure in the Constitution. But it doesn't say we can't. Well, it doesn't say you can't call the president a kumquat. What does that have to do with anything? So he tries... To cut the baby in half. And what does he do? He cuts off one of his fingers. Just like Rahm Emanuel did in a deli. Remember that, Mr. Producer? One of his fingers he cut off. He cut off. It wound up in somebody's uh, Italian uh, hoagie. Oh, yeah. They said, what the hell is that? Oh, that's free. Just a little bit of ham there. That's not, not a big deal. No, but he really did. <laughs> Kind of a schmuck. I would like it uh, sliced thin. Thin? Really, really thin. But uh, by the way, have you ever gone to these delis or a place like Wegman and there's a person there and they're very, very precise about how they want their this meat cut. Have you ever seen that, Mr. Producer? I want it thin. They hold it. Is that all right? No, thinner. And they cut it and they shave it. You know, make it real. Have a, no, it's falling apart. I want it in between that and there. Taste the same. Shut up and hurry up. At least that's what I'm thinking. Would you like something else? Yes. I go, oh my God. Anyway, I want you to listen to Joe Manchin on the floor of the Senate today. Cut two, go. As Hamilton warned us, impeachment seldom fell to agitate the passions of the whole community. They divide us on party lines and inflame our animosities. Why do they quote Hamilton? Why don't they quote their hero, Saul Linsky? Why do they keep quoting Hamilton? They don't believe in Hamilton. They don't know anything about Hamilton. Some 14-year-old assistant speechwriter wrote Hamilton, looked up in a book, went on the internet, hey, Wikipedia, can't believe Wikipedia, they're full of lies. They go, Hamilton said in Federalist 65, okay, quote that, I, I can use that one right there. They don't know anything about Hamilton. In fact, the play Hamilton doesn't know anything about Hamilton. If they knew about Hamilton, the leftists wouldn't even done a play on Hamilton. 
More like Benedict Arnold, they should have done a play. But that's another story. So here we have Joe Manchin quoting Hamilton. Go ahead. Never before in the history of our republic has there been a purely partisan impeachment vote of a president. Removing this president at this time would not only further divide our deeply divided nation, but also further poison our already toxic political atmosphere. In weighing these thoughts and of all the arguments brought forward in the case, I must be realistic. I see no path to the 67 votes required to impeach President Trump and haven't since this trial started. However, I do believe a bipartisan majority of this body would vote to censure President Trump for his actions in this manner. Wow. Now, they've talked about this stuff before. They did with Clinton, too. And I said, no, there's no cop-outs. You've got to make a decision. But Manchin is the king of cop-outs. The king of cop-outs. He barely won last time around. Hey, I have an idea. What's that? We can't remove him. And by the way, that would be very divisive. This guy's like Einstein. It would be very, very divisive. Okay. How about we censure him? Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one vote in the Senate for censure. That's his. Because he's a knucklehead. Nobody's going to vote the censure. He thought he could create, you know, this little juggernaut. Yeah. That's, that's the ticket. We'll censure the president. Now, can you imagine that as a precedent? You wouldn't even need articles of impeachment. You just censure the president. Wouldn't that be swell? That was done once in American history. Do you know that, Mr. Producer? Oh, yes. And you know what happened? The next Congress that came in that was the party of the president, they reversed it. So Manchin's just playing games. That's all he's doing. Now, Rand Paul is not playing games. And you know how critical I've been of Rand Paul. But in this environment, this scenario, in the last several weeks, if not months, he's been a bulldog. Much like we are here. He wants the name of the whistleblower out. As if I had mentioned the name of the whistleblower. And of course, I've said again and again, Eric, Eric, look at me. Eric Charamella, if that is your name, look at me. I've told you many, many times. If I'm wrong, please call in or have your lawyer, Mark Zaid, who apparently has left the country because we never hear from him, and tell me I'm wrong. Correct me. Now, ladies and gentlemen, do we have to suspend all of our intelligence to pretend that this guy's not the whistleblower? Wouldn't his lawyer be suing everybody left and right and jumping up and, hey, he's not the whistleblower. I'm going to sue your ass. But they don't do it. And I've said, come on the show and correct me. But they don't. You don't hear a word. You want to know why? Because Adam Schiff and the other mobsters in the other party have told the whistleblower, keep your head down. Have told the lawyer, keep your mouth shut. You don't hear from them. You don't hear a thing. Because Adam Schiff is worried about his own tuckus. Because Adam Schiff is a conspirator. Adam Schiff tried to lead a secret coup effort against the President of the United States, and he was exposed. Now that would tell us everything. Anyway, Rand Paul on the floor of the Senate today, he said, you know what? He's thinking to himself, okay, so the Chief Justice of the United States won't read my question. I'll go on the damn floor of the United States Senate, I'll put it on a poster, and I'll say it. What is all this crap? That we can't mention the name of this person who started all this stuff. To protect Schiff? You think they do that on the other side? You want to get to the bottom of this? Let's get to the bottom of this. 
Cut one, go. Were people plotting to bring down the president? They were plotting in advance of the election. Were they plotting within the halls of government to bring down the president? <clears throat> Look, these people also knew the Vindman brothers who were still in government. So you've got two Vindman brothers over there who know Eric Chiaramella, who also know Sean Misko, who also knew two other people working on Adam Schiff's staff. And Adam Schiff throws his hands up and says, I don't know who the whistleblower is. I've never met him. I have no idea who he is. So if he doesn't know who he is, the president's counsel doesn't know who he is, how does the chief justice of the United States know who the whistleblower is? You understand his point. He's saying, look, I wrote on a card for the chief justice of the United States to mention this guy's name. I didn't say he was the whistleblower per se. He's the alleged whistleblower. Well, why wouldn't the chief justice read his name unless everybody agrees this is the guy? You see his point, Mr. Producer? What's the problem? Read his name. If he's not the whistleblower, read his name. We can't mention him. We don't know who it is. We understand his name begins with an E and his last name begins with a C. But we don't know if it's Eric. We don't know. So we can't say it. This is a complete farce. And Paul's doing everything he can to expose it correctly. Go ahead. We have no independent confirmation from anyone in government as to who the whistleblower is. So how am I prevented from asking a question when nobody seems to admit that they even know who this person is? <laughs> My point is, is by having such protection, such overzealous protection, we don't get to the root of the matter of how this started. Because this could happen again. When the institution of the bureaucracy, when the intelligence community with all the power to listen to every phone conversation you have has political bias and can game the system to go after you, that's a real worry. It's a real worry that they spied on the president, but what if you're an average, ordinary American? That's right. I agree with him. Now, uh, Lindsey Graham... Is there a night when Lindsey Graham isn't on TV, Mr. Producer? I, I'm quite serious about this. I harbor no ill will. I like the guy. I've met him. I've been in some meetings with him. Very nice guy. Very personable. Very sharp. But very uh, attracted to television, I must say, too. I'm invited on TV almost every night, ladies and gentlemen. I say no. No. Lindsey says yes, yes. Anyway. He had an interesting point about Chucky Schumer. Why he has been doing what he's been doing lately. If you also notice when Chuck Schumer's behind a podium or microphone, starts davening. You know what davening is, Mr. Producer? It's, it's like in synagogue, when, you, when, you're, when you're bowing up and down to God or that sort of thing. Well, you wouldn't know. You're a Catholic. All right, but that, that's what's going on. Says, yes, he, that's what he's doing. He's davening to his own left wing kook propaganda. Anyway, Lindsey Graham has, I think, a very good point. Hat tip, Daily Wire, cut three, go. And what happened to the Nancy Pelosi that was thoughtful, prayerful, said impeachment could only be done by partisan Tlaib and these people took over the Democratic Party. And Chuck Schumer is having AOC breathing down his neck in terms of a Democratic primary. Chuck Schumer is scared to death to lose his job to AOC. And that's why this debacle continued in the Senate. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. Did you, Rich? 
He's afraid AOC is going to run against him in a Democrat primary down the road. That's what's going on. This moron, low IQ, shoot from the hip, left-wing kook, runs the Democrat Party. It's amazing. And she won't even come on any of my shows. And I would treat her with respect. Oh, yes. I can hear a question now like, Who is your favorite philosopher? Yes. Well, you know, uh, you're you're a racist. And not only that, uh, you... uh, All right, got it. Hiring is challenging. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. And growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Cafe Autora COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. You can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin, L-E-V-I-N. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. And with results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And see why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address. Ready? ZipRecruiter.com slash Levin. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-E-V-I-N. By the way, in addition to Murkowski, Collins announced today that she will be voting to acquit the President of the United States. So that leaves Romney, who I doubt will hang out there by himself. Just a guess. He's not really courageous. In fact, he's a coward. So I suspect all 53 Senate Republicans will vote to acquit which will mean not a single Republican will have effectively supported any of this. Witnesses or no witnesses? Not one. First time in American history. I'll be right back. Lovin. I've come up with an additional word to describe the phony journalists of today. They like to call their profession journalism. It's not anymore journalism. It's opinionism. Now, as best I can tell, opinionism isn't a word, so I'll coin it. We're not getting journalism, ladies and gentlemen. We're getting opinionism. And, of course, it is left-wing, Democrat Party, status, progressive opinionism. And I think this is what we need to begin calling this. And use the coined word, because it aptly describes what we're getting. You'll see it tonight. After the State of the Union, I'm going to shut off my television. I don't need opinionists, not journalists, opinionists who pretend to be journalists. And I'm not interested in opinionism. 
That's what I do. I apply facts, history, economics, philosophy, and so forth, to events, and provide context, and give you my opinion. And I don't make any bones about it. But when you watch these phony journalists who are opinionists, not committing acts of journalism, but committing acts of opinionism, I think we need to call it out. And I think these two words, really one and the same, just an extension of one, is it's appropriate. Language is critical in winning the debate. And it immediately puts them on the defense. You're not a journalist. You're an opinionist. We're defending journalism. No, you're not. You're turning journalism into opinionism. Does that make sense to you folks? I hope so, because I'm going to keep doing it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, lots more to go. I'll be right back. You're listening to Denali. The Great One. The Great One. And you can call in now. 877-381-3811. I hear the Democrats pre-State of the Union address saying, I hope the president brings us together. Now, how do they want us to come together? Massive big government programs. And I hope that's not what we're about. We got, folks, annual deficits running over a trillion dollars. And the Republicans control a lot of the government. Uh, we can pretend this isn't happening. It's happening. And we need to pay attention to this. I don't want any more government programs. How do we tell them socialism doesn't work, but they ought to control pharmaceutical prices. We ought to have uh, massive infrastructure. By the way, if you drive around Washington, D.C., and the vast majority of you don't live around Washington, D.C., the infrastructure projects never end. They never end. We got a mass subway system. I moved out to a county that wasn't anywhere near the subway system. So they built it out to my neighborhood. We've got overways being built. We've got roads being expanded and widened and new roads coming in. And the developers lobbying the counties with these bonds and, the, and lobbying the states and, and so forth and so on. I'd still like to know where this money's going to come from. Infrastructure. And by the way, in many respects, infrastructure doesn't mean what you think it means. In many ways, it's a boondoggle for these mayors and these governors who just spend like hell. But these will be the applause lines if he brings things up. Drug prices are out of control. Now, you know, we've talked about this before. The government can control drug prices. They can freeze the prices. But you won't get any drugs. Those of you who have these horrendous illnesses, like cancer, like diabetes, or illnesses that aren't all that well known and aren't all that well spread and have difficulty attracting funding, let's say like Addison's disease or Crohn's disease, or dementia and Alzheimer's, which is a huge, really, epidemic and so forth. Where do you think these companies are going to get the money to invest in this stuff? It amazes me when I hear this. 
We spend 17% of every dollar, we, the people, on all aspects of health care. And many of you pay more than that in taxes, local, state, and federal, as a percentage of your income. So the government's good at price controls, of redistributing wealth, of destroying innovation, of creating welfare programs, and on and on and on. So, unfortunately, I think we're going to see more of that as a way of unifying the country. But at some point, some way, someday, we are going to pay a severe price for this profligate spending without limits. Without limits, you've seen societies crumble under debt like this. So we've been through a lot. president's been through a lot. His family's been through a lot. His supporters have been through a lot. But now is not the time. They've become liberal big spenders. And we can unite the country, or at least make an attempt, without being more like them. Because that's always the game. How How do you defeat the swamp when you expand it and empower it? And give it more and more money, Mr. Producer. Who the hell do they think is going to run these family leave programs? Honest to God. They're going to talk about infrastructure, a public-private partnership. You don't ever want to be in a public-private partnership. You know what? The reason why is the public part controls the private part. That's why. Ask people who are contractors for the government. Innovation is killed in many respects. Productivity is killed in many respects. They have these really thick books called the FAR and the DFAR. I'm trying to do this by memory. Just page after page after page just to give them a sell them a widget. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. I wish there was somebody or some party that was about fiscal responsibility. You know, conservatives used to think, you know what? I'm not a social conservative. You know, those nut jobs over there. And I'm not a hawk. You know, war every day, every day. Not in a, but I'm a fiscal conservative. I, I really am. I'm a fiscal conservative. That's what I am, you know. But they don't even exist anymore. Who are they? Where are they? They never speak out. Other than me, who speaks out about fiscal conservatism or fiscal responsibility? Nobody. Well, Mark, we need roads, and we need bridges, and we need tunnels, and we need airports, and we need, and we need, and we need. This never ends. Well, then, cut somewhere else. I can't do that. Why not? Well, we won't be able to bring the country together. And that's why the suburban areas that ring the District of Columbia, so many of them are the wealthiest counties in America and the vast majority of what they produce is related to government that's why all the infrastructure building in and around Washington DC I'm just telling you it's it's a complete disconnect a complete disconnect so we'll listen we'll watch now I want to remind you I won't be here the rest of the week. It has nothing to do with health or dear friends or anything of the sort. 
Nothing's wrong. I just won't be here the next of the week. No, I'm not transitioning, Mr. Producer. What the hell is wrong with you? His mind's in a very bad place. You know, this latest trend in skincare is instant results. Introducing the brand new Genesel RH from Chamonix. Genesel RH delivers next-gen retinol anti-aging effects with zero redness or irritation. Plus, the RH complex provides hyaluronic acid, crucial for superior retinal effects. Now, here's Susan from Toms River, New Jersey. Very nice area. I've been there. The Genesel RH is a game-changer. Bags under my eyes are history, and it feels so soft and luxurious. I even use it for redness on my left cheek and my left lines. Thank you, Chamonix. Home run. The new Genesel RH is leading the industry once again. Makes bags, puffiness, hyperpigmentation, even redness a thing of the past. And from now until Valentine's Day, it's free when you order Genesel jawline treatment. And for results in 12 hours or less, the Genesel immediate effects is also free with your order. Call 800-SKIN-604. It's that simple. No risk. 800 skin 604 or go to Genesel.com. Order the jawline treatment now and get the new Genesel RH and the Genesel Immediate Effects absolutely free. Free shipping. That's 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. I say we take a few calls here. Barry, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, the great WPHD country. How are you, sir? Great, Mark. I can't tell you how grateful I am to Mr. Producer. I wasn't expecting to get through. I started stumbling and bumbling. And uh, so I just wanted to first say thank you for being a voice for so many of us. Thank you. We listen all the time, my family, my friends. Where, where in Philadelphia are you? Actually, I'm out in Bucks County. Oh, yeah. As Bucks County's turned blue, too. You know, you're perfectly segueing me into my complaints, so I'll yeah. take advantage of that. We're in tough shape here. We've lost our county seats. We have people in, in the political uh, And by the way, I want the country to understand Bucks County was sort of a liberal but Republican bedroom community, an outer suburb. Montgomery County was lost years ago. That's where I grew up. That was a Republican county. Delaware County was a Republican county. It's not anymore. Chester County, probably the last holdout, very much a Democrat or moving Democrat county. So all these counties that circle Philadelphia, which used to neutralize the vote out of Philadelphia, don't neutralize the vote out of Philadelphia anymore because they're mostly Democrat. Go ahead. Thank you for telling everyone that. Um, it's very true. And we we're, we're about to become a sanctuary county on top of everything else. And our political leaders are more interested in the, the typical games. They've never realized, along with the Democrats, how Trump won. They're still playing the same typical games. Um, but I wanted to just also tell you, my nephews, uh, from reading your books, they've switched, for, they've turned over to become cons- uh, Republicans. Really? So you gotta, yeah, it was a, they go to Temple. I never thought I would see it. My, so did my I. Family, I yeah. know, that's why I'm saying it. Most it's a liberal my, stronghold. <laughs> most of my family, I'm the only conservative I was. Now I have a, yeah. my two nephews. So. Wonderful. Anyway, uh, great show tonight. You're touching on so many topics. It's amazing how much you could, you could squeeze in. I, I, we really appreciate you. 
I know you uh, don't. You deflect it usually, but I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not allowed to say this, so I'll say it. We have a big event planned for WPHT Country next month. Next month, I'm coming home. Awesome. Just stay poised because when I announce it or they announce it, you're going to need to move very, very fast. And I hope to see you there, my brother. I'll be listening, and thanks again so much. Uh, you're, you're, you're the lighthouse, brother. You're the lighthouse. You're keeping us off the rocks. Well, you're very kind. Thank you, and God bless you. That's very, very nice of him. We'll be right back. in. Mr. Producer, were you able to find that new song I sent you? Do you know what I'm talking about? Let's try that in hour three. I'd never heard of these guys before. Never did. Yes, the best tax relief group out there, and it's not even close, is Optima Tax Relief. And they have been a sponsor of this program for years. And they are the best. And they have professionals. They have experts. They have lawyers, former IRS types. And they are there to protect you and in some cases save you. You'd pay off your IRS debt if you could, but you can't. You don't have the money, so you're stuck. And now you're asking this important question. Is this the day the IRS shows up at my work, garnishes my wages, seizes my bank accounts, maybe even my house? Let me suggest a way to end your IRS nightmare. Go to the best. Call Optima Tax Relief. They're America's most trusted tax resolution firm. They exist for people exactly like you. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, a powerful IRS program that could save you thousands if you qualify and help stop this rut that you're in. In fact, Optimus have resolved over $1 billion of tax debt for people just like you. Get the peace of mind. Stop the stress that comes when you have Optima on your side. Standing between you and the IRS. Defending you. Fighting to help stop aggressive collection actions. And helping to protect your assets. Don't wait. Put your IRS worries to rest. Call 800 800-499-6300. And some restrictions apply. For complete details, you can visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. But give them a call. Give them a call. Check it out. You have nothing to lose. 800-499-6300. There was an article sent to me that really made my day the other day. And it's from the Times Record News. It's part of the USA Today Network. Trish Choate, Wichita Falls Times Record News. Republican congressional candidate Monique Worthy was in solitary confinement in jail when she found conservatism. I said, whoa, this is interesting. 
Worthy was searching the AM band for gospel music, but instead she discovered conservative talk radio in the form of the Mark Levin show. And that was it. Imagine reading this for the first time. Quote, that's what turned me into a conservative, Worthy 30 said. I went in jail supporting Obama. I came out of jail supporting McCain. Obviously, she's talking about the 2008 election when she was in solitary confinement. Worthy's outspoken about her conservative beliefs. Her history is a convicted felon. She said, I was a thief. And her LGBTQ identity. She's almost certainly the first black transgender woman to run for the 13th Congressional District. And I'm sure the media will defend her, support her, promote her, celebrate her. But that is not what she has built her platform on. I'm not running as LGBT. I'm not running as black. I'm not running as none of that, where they try to group you in one group or another. Worthy said during an interview. She said she's the type of candidate who is best for the job. Establishment candidates, she said, are not best for the job because we have those already. Perfect candidates. They get us nowhere. She added, time to shake this, well, time to shake up some S up there. She said, voters will figure her out soon enough. I get some detractors, she said. A lot of people love me more when they find out. Everybody is like, that makes you even better for the party. Worthy said, she tells people, She's in a win-win situation with the GOP. She said, as long as you love this country and want to do what's right for this country, stand by our Constitution, which has led the country down, uh, which has led the, the country down all these years, that's all we need, unabated. Wow. That was really something. Imagine that. You never know who's listening to this program. But even more, this is why I make it my mission to talk about our principles. Because there's many, many people out there who've never heard them articulated or not articulated in a persuasive way. We get stereotyped, ladies and gentlemen. They have narratives for us. We get pigeonholed. The media do this. The Democrat politicians do this. Even rhino Republicans do this. The word of liberty and all that entails is appealing. It's appealing. This is how you beat Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and their ilk. When's the last time we used the word liberty in our debates with them? They don't. We don't. Talk about liberty in the Republican Party. Talk about infrastructure. Family leave. We talk like them. But nobody talks better than them. Than them. And so I think it's very, very important. You don't know who you can reach. And she not only was in solitary confinement. Now she's running for Congress. And she said, I'm not running on my race. I'm not running on... My sexuality. I'm running on the Constitution. This is an ex-convicted felon who has seen the light of liberty. And when you see the light of liberty, it really does open your mind to so many possibilities as an individual. 
All right, I thought you'd want to hear about Monique, and I'll be right back. Broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, The President's State of the Union Address is after this program, so stick with us. I'll be watching it with you. It's a remarkable man, our President. There's a remarkable piece at Conservative Review by our buddy Daniel Horowitz. Bernie the Fake Populist. And you see some of the code pink Republican populists really take a liking to this guy. I despise him. I despise all Marxists. Horowitz writes, One can essentially internalize Bernie Sanders' entire political message with a wind-up toy playing the following message, quote, I'm for the little guy against the evil rich people and their politically connected cronies. I'll fight the people who push policies beneficial to Wall Street and well-connected lobbyists and detrimental to ordinary Americans. With such a populist message, it's not hard to see why young brains full of mush, as Rush would say, will be drawn to his candidacy. However, those people need to realize that it's Bernie's very own policies that have created these monopolies for millionollas, they call them, and billionollas. While there is a merit to some of the socialist populist diagnosis of the flawed and corrupt structure inherent in our political class... The socialists have the wrong prescription to fix the broken political system. And in fact, Bernie's version of populism, de facto venture socialism, is nothing more than warmed over government largesse, which has driven the very sort of cronyism he invades against on a regular basis. Only free market and constitutional populism, he writes, I'm not sure what that is, but okay, which eliminates the ability of the federal government to pick winners and losers in the first place will foster the fairest and most prosperous economy for both Wall Street and Main Street. Let's take a look at health care, he writes. Bernie Sanders helped perpetuate and exacerbate a system that cuts out the consumer from health care and places third-party middlemen in charge of our health care. UnitedHealth has enjoyed a monopoly on the insurance system since Sanders supported Obamacare, announcing a record $14 billion in profits in 2019. That's a 15.5% increase from 2018. The company's annual revenue has nearly doubled since the enactment of Obamacare. Meanwhile, the regulatory and subsidy structure of Obamacare, Medicare, and Medicaid has created a monopoly for healthcare conglomerates to merge and acquire other businesses, essentially charting us toward the extinction of private medical practice in America. Medicare for All will simply take everything that is wrong already with the system and put every remaining person under the control of this monopoly of a few so-called private health care administrators and insurance. Socialism pays well to those who administer it. What about banking? Although both authentic conservatives and principled quote-unquote socialists share the same disdain for government-sponsored handouts to big banks, the banking industry 
in itself was not the source of the economic downturn in 2008. And trash-talking banks as an end to itself, as Bernie does, will not usher in an era of prosperity. Social engineering policies, we've talked about this at great length over the years, supported by Sanders, such as Bill Clinton's national homeownership strategy, coupled with the officious interventions of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, created the entire culture that coerced banks to underwrite risky mortgages in order to please the central planners in Washington. It was these greedy government-sponsored entities that bought up almost all the subprime mortgage securities. It was these government policies and agencies that gambled with your tax dollars and got bailed out by the government when the risky bets threatened to blow up our financial system. In fact, it was the prized legislation of Bernie's ideological twin, Elizabeth Warren, the Dodd-Frank bill, that created the Financial Stability Oversight Council, a government agency that completely bypassed the bankruptcy process and bailout companies deemed too big to fail. Dodd-Frank is something like the Obamacare of the financial industry and is another example of how the arsonists in the political class dress up as firefighters to solve the problems they helped create in the first place. The fact that this law was named after two politicians who embodied this big government collusion with the big banks is quite fitting. Sanders and Warren are correct to assert that banking lobbyists have too much power in Washington. But the way to reduce their power is to eliminate government's ability to pick winners and losers. Instead of empowering them, continue growing the government Wall Street cronyist complex, he writes. And he goes on about picking winners and losers. It's a very, very interesting piece and it really is it it, it underscores the point that that we've been talking about for such a long time what is this populism that empowers government I mean it's not that far from progressivism and I've given you the history of this both in writing and on the air in the past We're going to break up the banks. How are you going to do it? Empower government. We're going to get drug prices under control. How are you going to do it? Empower government. They can't even secure the border. They can't even get an election right. As the president said today, they can't even get an Obamacare website up and running after $5 billion. I don't want more government, ladies and gentlemen. They can dress it up as family leave, as this. I don't want it. The debt is, is going to be crushing you don't unite the country around. You don't attack democratic socialism and then become the mini-me of democratic socialism. And I hear more and more of this. And it is very, very troubling to me. I reject it. May I say that? And I'll continue to reject it. Uh, the President of the United States tomorrow will be acquitted... The Democrats did not want him acquitted before the State of the Union. It's not going to matter. Because everybody knows what they're up to. Everybody knows what they've been doing. And you folks out there, you have to ask yourself a question. Why do we pay these people a salary? Why do we give them lifetime pensions? Why do they get better medical care than the vast majority of the American people? We pay for all this stuff. And they don't even do their jobs. Why are we paying for Nancy Pelosi and Adam Schiff and Gerald Nadler? Adam Schiff and Gerald Nadler have been on the public payroll virtually their entire lives. 
Nancy Pelosi and her husband are multimillionaires through crony capitalism. We still pay her salary, her pension benefits, and her medical benefits. She's all talk, no action. Donald Trump talks about capitalism, and then he gives his salary away to one charity or another, or one federal agency or another, for which he gets zero credit. Nancy Pelosi doesn't even need her salary. I guarantee you, I give the more charities and give more money to charities than she and that big schlub goofball husband of hers. And she takes her salary. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I understand perfectly clearly. It's like Bernie Sanders. Used to trash millionaires. Now he's a millionaire. So now he only trashes billionaires. But honestly, if you're an old red from Brooklyn and you have served your entire life in government, and when you haven't served in government, you've had some minimal paying job, walking around, hunched over, spewing Marxism, how do you become a multimillionaire? By the way, Peter Schweizer tells us how in his great book, Profiles and Cronyism. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. Two calls. Jana, Sedona, Arizona, XM Satellite. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very well. Thank you. (laughs) I was just calling to let you know that I am an ex-liberal and was started listening to your show a couple years ago and really didn't know much about the whole uh, conservative movement. And just after listening to you, I, I am a total Mark Levin convert. Aren't you not? I didn't ask you to call, right? I don't know you. No. <laughs> not at all. You're very, very kind. And Sedona's beautiful. Yeah, it's great. Beautiful place for sure. Now, I was there 20 years ago. Is it getting like overpopulated? I can't imagine it is. Traffic is getting worse, but they don't let it really. They, there's a lot of restrictions on building and whatnot, so it's not right. too bad. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for calling. That was very kind of you. Yeah, I just want to let you know. I have a very conservative father. We fight back and forth all the time about different things, and then I started listening to you, and now we get along great. So thank you for that. Did you know that I'm good for families? Did you know this? <laughs> all right, anyway, thank okay. you, and my best to your dad. John, North Point, Florida, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? Denali, you know, you and Lincoln share something in common. You both have luxury vehicles named after you. 
Good company. Oh, that's fun. You know, I do. It's hilarious. That's right. I just want to talk about Mayor Pete from this perspective. Yes, sir. If you look in the last 70 years, when the Democrats have lost and lost big, it's because they nominate someone that's well-known, a vice president, a well-known senator. I mean, witness Hubert Humphrey, Al Gore, John mm-hmm. Kerry, uh, Hillary. But when they sneak someone up on us, an unknown, like John Kennedy, um, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton, Obama, they can mold them into anything they want us to think they are, and they pull one over on us. So that's the only thing I had to say about seeing he, him out in front. It just gives me cause. But for wait a minute, wait a minute. This is an excellent point. It's a very thoughtful point. Because what you're saying is they introduce these people to us, and then they mold them for us. And the media mold them for us. Say, wow, this is fresh blood. This is a new person. Maybe they'll shake things up, or maybe they'll have fresh ideas. And you're saying, no, they won't. They're, sheeps, they're sheep in wolves' clothing. And you're exactly right. Excellent point. That's all I wanted to say, boss. Well, you said plenty there, brother. Very well done. Let us go. Oh, by the way, let me see if I can find it. Okay, silent prayer or sing to yourselves. I'm looking for something that I wrote to myself. Give me a second here. Uh, you know, I'm reading over in their National Review, their, their editors, I guess, which is the corporate view. And they keep taking shots at the at the lawyers who've done a fantastic job representing the president and the Senate. And I was going to post something this morning, and I decided, you know what, let me just say it on the air. And I say this, trust me, in a non-attack mode. And here's what I wrote that I was going to post, and I just decided to hold it. National Review editors have been sanctimoniously wrong, or at least incoherent, through much of this impeachment, in my view. They lack a full understanding of the history of presidential conduct, really misconduct, the nature of this constitutional battle that we're involved in now, including the motives of the opposition, the serious principles at stake, among other things. And they've tried to skate on a sharp edge throughout given their corporate hostility to the president and their contempt for the way he does business. And they also claim that military support was held as a quid pro quo, which has not been established by hard evidence, period. On the contrary, the principles, the two presidents, deny it. There's no smoking gun, and facts do matter, like traditional due process in the impeachment context. They're unavoidable, and they should not be Ignored, especially in an impeachment trial, because they've been arguing this. Of course, this isn't a federal trial based on the husbanding of circumstantial allegations, nor is it to be about policy disputes. In some days, NR seems mostly to agree with this point. In other days, not so much. I do concur that a crime need not be committed to establish an impeachable offense. And I've come to agree a president cannot be indicted while in office. I disagree with their frequent assertions that this is essentially a political matter. It's a constitutional matter, motivated by politics. That's why there's specific impeachment language with real historical meaning in the Constitution's text, even if there is some ambiguity. But beyond their criticism, 
they provide precious little useful guidance on what does constitute an impeachable offense. Instead, they struggle with their own constant wiggle between or ambiguity about political and constitutional process and motivational arguments. References to federal prosecutions, yet acknowledging the the inapplicability of such procedures here, and so forth. The president's lawyers got it wrong, they say. Actually, they got it mostly right. And they beat back the horrendous star chamber tyranny of the House Democrats when they finally had the opportunity. The president will be acquitted. acquitted. It won't even be close. The Constitution will have been successfully defended against the Democrat House managers for another day. The radical Democrats will be condemned by history, as are the radical Republicans who impeached the awful Andrew Johnson. But danger looms as the radical Democrats tried before and failed, this time succeeded, and will likely try again to use impeachment as just another tool to destroy constitutional norms. This is about a great deal more than a phone call. A great deal more. So, you know, I'm not the greatest at typing on my little iPhone, and I kind of pulled that together. And I actually sent it to you, didn't I, Rich? And then I said, pull it back. I want to reach more people by just saying it on the air. And so I said it. And I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Levin, America's tyranny hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Well, you're not going to want to miss the State of the Union for many, many reasons, but it's being reported now that Rush Limbaugh will be at the State of the Union address where the president, it is being reported, will announce that he's awarding him the Presidential Medal of Freedom. I have no reason to doubt this, and I have every reason to be very excited about it. So, uh, I told you this president is a remarkable man. He's going to be honoring a remarkable man. And we will be glued to the television set, won't we? You bet we will. So we will be watching the State of the Union address. Let us go to Bill Portland, Oregon, the great KUFO. K-U-F-O. Go. 
Hey, great one. Well, so glad to be able to talk with you. Yes, sir. I know, I know that whenever we have elected officials start doing things that just mystify us and really seem to belie any logic or common sense, it's easy to begin to have our faith in our system shaken just a bit. And I'm, as I think about the Democrats and their attempt at stealing um, the election and also uh, basically usurping uh, President Trump, I begin to wonder if maybe this wasn't exactly what the framers had in mind and that it was, is completely appropriate for the Democrats or any minority party uh, to attempt um, an impeachment because the bar to be able to actually execute on it, to be actually able to remove the president, is so high that if they make these bad attempts, then it goes to the old adage, if you attempt to assassinate the king, don't dare miss. The, the problem with all this is, look at the tumult and turmoil that takes place as the result of a small majority, a temporary majority in the House of Representatives. It's absolutely not what the framers intended. The framers intended the government to be relatively small. They tried to define as best as they could in a governing document their areas of responsibility. Obviously, there'll be ambiguities and gaps. They only met for five and a half months as they tried to pull things together. Uh, They wanted most of the activity to be in the private sector. Uh, When you look at the Ninth Amendment, we've talked about this and I've written about it. The Ninth Amendment is a connection to the Declaration of Independence, natural law, unalienable rights, and so forth. What the Democrats are about is destroying all these institutions. They're, They're using the Constitution to destroy the Constitution. And you might say, well, there'll be this wonderful backlash and so forth. There's not a wonderful backlash because Republicans don't do backlashes. And so the President of the United States is put through a grinder Uh, He's under attack. His family's under attack. There's probably many more good things he could be doing if he wasn't, you know, having to deal with these other things. And so I don't think it's uh, exactly what the framers had in mind. And there's really no historical evidence for that. This this is a party that has been radicalized uh, through the progressive, the radical status progressive ideology, which is an offshoot, quite frankly, of Marx and Engels and Hengel, and to some extent Rousseau. These ideologies are alien, alien to Locke and Montesquieu and so many others that the framers relied on. This is a struggle between a civil society and the iron fist. This is a struggle between anarchy and a constitutional republic. And that's why I I don't accept, and I'm I'm not even talking about it, I don't accept easy, quick, hey, isn't this good for us politically? It might wind up being good for us politically, but it's bad overall for the country. Anyway, that's my view. But there's more to it. There's also, consider the possibility. You get a president in office, and he doesn't break the line of law, but he does go 180 against everything that he said he was going to do, and he Well, you don't impeach presidents for going against what they said they wanted to do. That's not in the Constitution. Complete, you That's not, you're not listening to a word I say. That's no, not I, treason, bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanor. It is misdemeanors are such minor things. If somebody were to... No, no, no. Misdemeanors is not what we mean by misdemeanors today. There was no criminal code at the time. It's not misdemeanors like jaywalking. That's not what they meant. Listen carefully. Listen. Listen. Treason. 
bribery, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. They didn't mean criminal misdemeanors. They explained what they meant. They understood what these words meant. Through British common law, they debated it. And I want to suggest, take a look at Madison's notes, and you won't, and you won't be sidetracked by this. Thank you for your call. Sometimes I try, and sometimes I miss. Doug Wotham, Texas. In Wotham, Texas. The great WBAP. Go. Yes, sir. Yeah. It's an honor, honor to talk to the great one. And well, thank pray you. Pray for Rush Limbaugh. I, a- uh, I, them, uh, uh, I had small cell carcinoma, and I'm a seven-year survivor now. God uh, bless you. And so uh, we serve an awesome God. But yeah. I'll get to my point. Uh, uh, the statute for the, the Whistleblower Act, it only protects a whistleblower's job for 90 days. So I think it's time that day after tomorrow, Trump needs to fire the whistleblower. I don't know that he'll do that, but, <laughs> I uh, but I do know what you mean. This guy's treated like, uh, like he's the bubble boy. Yes, sir. And, yeah. I, and, he, and it's only because the media insists on it, the Democrats and many Republicans. That's why, while I often strongly disagree with, with Rand Paul's code pink republicanism when it comes to foreign policy, in this, he's been a great leader. In this, he's been a great leader trying to expose the phony whistleblower and the whole uh, sleazy uh, behind-the-scenes effort by him, his friends, former NSC uh, personnel working for Schiff and Schiff. And there's only a handful of them are really serious about this. And this probably isn't the only horse in the stable either. You're right. I'm sure that between now and election, Schiff's got a lot of other ones going to come forward. Now, now where is Wotham... Texas, Wortham, I'm sorry. 80 miles south of uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. When and I did my cancer treatment, it was at Houston, which is about three hours away, uh, 150, about 170 miles uh, at MD Anderson. But, uh, uh, That's considered one of, the, one of the best places. Sir? That's considered one of the top places in the yes, world. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, it is. And uh, I, I praise God and, and thank them for... I never smoked a day in my life, but I wound up with a smoker's cancer, and it was in my bladder. And uh, it was stage four when they discovered it. How long ago? That was, uh, it was August of 2012, and I went through extensive chemo for seven months and uh, cranial surgery because small cell carcinoma wants to go to the brain, and chemo doesn't work well because of the blood barriers, you know, in, in the in the brain, and so I had to do cranial radiation just to make sure none of the cells had already migrated there. Oh, my God. That's where it goes. And and then we did surgery February the 19th of uh, 2013, and they uh, removed my bladder, took two feet of my small intestine, cut it in strips, and sewed it back together like a baseball, and that's my bladder now. So... uh, uh, it's called a studer pouch, and, and uh, but I, I I've been going strong since. I was, I was at the farm putting out hay for my dad's in the hospital right now, but he's going to do home health. He's coming home Thursday, so I was trying to get his house ready for him. Uh, you're 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 remarkable. How old are you? I'm fifty six. Yeah. And, uh, yes, sir. So. Uh, anyway, it's well. Uh, I I want to thank you a long time. I know you like. Yeah. 
steak with ketchup on it. Uh, <laughs> I, I try to cook them where you don't have to put anything on it. <laughs> but I've listened to you're the reason I voted for Ted Cruz the first time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't familiar with him at that time. You mean in the primary? Way in the Republican way back Senate when, primary? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, this last time, Pedro wasn't as close. Ted Cruz, you know, he, he wasn't campaigning as hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was up at the Kavanaugh hearings all during that time, and uh, and Beto was out there lying to everybody he could. And uh, I don't think it it shouldn't have been as close as it was, but I think a lot of it was that that Cruz wasn't really able to get out. It was. It was I, I think he's wide awake now, though. He's he's pretty much everywhere. And uh, so now we've got a uh, Bill Flores represents us and. Congress and he's stepping down, so we've got choices to make now on that race. But anyway. well, listen, Doug, I want to tell you it's an honor to hear from you, nope. and I want to wish you all the best, my friend. Love, Mr. Producer. Sometimes he's pretty rude and hangs up on me, but I is that right? <laughs> <laughs> wow, my goodness! But I think it's funny. My wife's like, "Well, that's just rude." I'm like, "I think it's funny." Uh, you mean Mr. Call Screener? Like <laughs> oh yeah. All right, brother. Well, good luck to you, and God bless you. And we'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right. Who would you speak to, Mr. Producer? Do we have any uh, caller left there? The great WMAL, Kim in Virginia. Go. Hey, Mark. How are you? Um, Long-term listener, big Trump supporter. I've volunteered as a vote counter for him, and um, I'm not even a Republican. I'm just a Trump supporter. And um, and, uh, anyway, I just want to let... I wanted to bounce something off you. I believe that Iowa screwed up the uh, caucus results to interfere with tonight's State of the Union address. What do you think? That's quite a damn big conspiracy. (laughs) Well, I don't don't buy it. Okay. All right. Well, how could someone's how it, could they it, screw- it doesn't help them well they had a screw up you know like romney did uh, during the election where his his cutting edge technology where people in the field you know could use laptops and iphones and those sorts of things uh but it didn't work very well and this didn't you work know, very well either I, I was a vote counter for romney as well 
and um, and uh, it all crashed and burned, and we were so frustrated with our cell phones. So yep, exactly. I know that well. But anyway, yeah, I um, I don't trust one thing they do. And, you know, someone once said to me, if, if people want something bad, they'll get it bad. And gosh forbid, if Trump does not win this next election, we are really going to be in serious, serious, just really bad shape here in this country. So um, anyway, that's all I had to say. Um, God bless you and take care of your health. And I'm tuning in in my car right now to listen to our awesome president. Amen. And as soon as this program's over, my wife and I are going to do exactly the same thing. Mr. Producer, anybody left? The great Steve in the great New York on the great WABC. Go ahead. Hi. I want to make the point that the Democrats dem- I keep hoodwinking people by doing this trial analogy and saying there's no acquittal if there wasn't a fair trial. You shouldn't compare to a, a regular trial, but if you do, the reality is the impeachment is the trial level. And going to the Senate trial is really going to the jury. The fairness should have happened at the impeachment level. You don't start introducing new witnesses and looking for due process for the prosecutor at the Senate level. So the Republicans ought to be saying there's no need for a trial if there's no fair impeachment and driving that home to the people. Because this comparison that people think they understand to a regular trial is just incorrect. Very, very well put. Very plainly put and very, very well put. How do you think the president's going to do in the State of the Union? I think he's going to do well. I I hope he focuses more on um, globalism and socialism and those issues. You know, my other conspiracy theory, if you look at the timing of this whole Ukraine and impeachment inquiry launch, I think it was launched when it was because they want to make sure that nobody listened to and the media had an excuse for not covering that amazing U.N. speech that he gave. Mm-hmm. And they, they had to totally take the narrative away because that speech was very powerful, very, very reasoned, and presented Trump in a way that most people never get to see because the media doesn't cover it. But they would have had to cover the, U, the U.N. speech um, if but for all this stuff being launched. So I think it was all – they were going to do it anyway – but the timing was all subterfuge to make sure people don't hear that. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, I appreciate it. And we will soon be hearing the President of the United States and his State of the Union. And I can tell you now, as soon as it's over, I shut the television and or radio off. I don't mean to offend, but I don't need opinionists practicing opinionism. You and I are going to watch it with our own eyes and hear it with our own ears. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all you heroes out there who protect us. Thank you. Mr. President, we salute you, and we look forward to watching. And Rush, we love you, and we pray. And we'll be right back tomorrow. Tomorrow. 